Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. If you know anything about American literature, then you must know the name F. Scott Fitzgerald. And to know the name F. Scott Fitzgerald, you must know the literary masterpiece, The Great Gatsby. This masterful novel takes place in the 1920s in what they call the Jazz Age. The main character of this novel is a man named Nick Carraway, a quiet, resolute man from the Midwest, who happens to stay down the hill from the mysterious millionaire, Jane Gatsby. Gatsby is well known throughout New York City for his extravagant parties. In fact, Nick knows this all too well because he would see hundreds of cars zoom past his driveway to attend these parties because sadly he was never invited. Until that one day, he would hear a knock at the door and there it was, a personal invitation from the great Gatsby. Nick would put on his Sunday best and attend the party But upon his arrival, he would discover something unexpected, something rather interesting. He would discover that though this party is full of hundreds of people having a great time, he was the only one who was actually invited. Oh, Hope Church, there's something special about a personal invitation. There's something unique about someone thinking enough of you to invite you to something important to them. In fact, many of us would probably want to take back our invitations to some of those parties. (laughs) But nonetheless, it is still something special about someone personally inviting you to someplace important to them. Well, Hope Church, if that's the case, I've got some good news and i got some bad news. The bad news is many of us don't even realize That God himself, the savior of the world, has been trying to invite each of us to something special, to something unique, to something extraordinary. But the bad news is, many of us never accept the invitation. Oh, but here's the good news. Today, the invitation still stands. And that invitation is for you to make the greatest, most important decision of your life, and that is... To follow God, there is no greater decision you can ever make than to follow Jesus. And tonight, Christ wants to invite each of us to something spectacular. Now, let's just say, Pastor Ricky, um, I'll accept your invitation. Let's just say that this Christ thing, he actually has something important for me to offer, something special for me in my life. Well, if that's the case then we have to ask the question, what are the implications of Jesus' invitation to follow him? What does all this entail? If I accept his invitation, that what he offers me is that much greater, then what does that mean? Well, 
Christ, being the gracious host, wants to answer that question. And today he will show us three ways in which he invites us to follow him. Jesus', Jesus invitation is this. First, to be with him. Secondly, to be transformed by him. And last, to become like him. Amen? And so we've been in the book of Mark for some time. And so as you turn to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, I want to catch you up to speed. So as you turn there, let me kind of fill you in. Last week, Pastor Scott preached an amazing message on the temptation of Jesus, that he's walking through the desert and 40 days without food, water, and shelter. And to make matters worse, Satan is tempting him every step of the way. But this desert walk will serve a twofold purpose. First, it will show that Christ understands what it feels like to be tempted, for he is fully man, but he is also fully God. That though he was tempted, he did not sin. And in that perfection, he defeats Satan, shakes the dust off of his feet, and steps now into a new scene in which he will show us why he came. And that is to usher in the kingdom of God. Amen? So we're all caught up. Meet me in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Let me say this. If I mess up on this reading, public reading is hard. Don't you laugh at me. Don't y'all be laughing at me. All right, let's have a good time. Here we go. Verse 14 and 15. It says this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Here it is now. The messenger of te- the one telling us that Christ is coming, he's now been arrested. And you would think that this would stop the gospel message, but no. Christ picks up where John left off, and Christ says, the time is now, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Ricky, what is Christ saying? He's saying that this is the opportune time for sinners to come to salvation. This is the time, if you do not know Christ, to experience his love and grace and mercy. So the question is, will you take it? He says, repent and believe. He simply says this, when Christ says the kingdom of God, we've often said this at Hope Church, that the kingdom of God means this. It is God's sovereign activity in the world resulting in people being in right relationship with himself, meaning this is God's plan for salvation. It is now approaching the earth, and Christ will bring it to fruition, and the first thing he does to to build this plan is to go recruit some ordinary fishermen. The first thing we shall see about following Christ is we first must be with him. All right. Mark chapter 1, look at it with me, verses 16 through 20. Now, here we go. It says this. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boats mending their nets. And immediately he called them and and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired servants and followed him. Now to appreciate this, you have to approach it slowly. Christ has taken a light stroll on the banks of the sea of Galilee. They said the sea is um, picturesque, serene, 
the perfect place of tranquility, the perfect temperature to create fruitful valleys, even the rare uh, freshwater fish that was a delicacy in the ancient world. This was the perfect place to take a light stroll. In fact, this body of water happened to be 13 miles long and, and seven miles wide. Well, Ricky, why have a history lesson? Well, you need to know that 85% of Christ's ministry was done around this water. It was here that he would preach a sermon on the mountain. It was here that he would walk on water. It was here that he would calm the storm. And it is here now where he will call four men to follow him. For your faith began on these banks. Now, in verse 16, it says, he's walking and he sees two men. And he tells them to follow him. Now, at first glance, you're going... Is Christ walking up to random people just saying, follow me? Like, imagine you in crumble cookie. <laughs> You're doing your thing. And Christ walks in and says, hey, drop the cookie, follow me. No, that's not what he said. But no, what it says, when he saw these two men, it meant that he perceived he knew God would use them. But also, John chapter 1 says that these men would have known Christ. They would have heard his name. They would have been around him. They would have known who Jesus is. In fact, what Christ does in these men's lives is what he does in our lives. He begins to work in our life. He begins to make his name known. And at some point, he will come to each of us personally and say, follow me. Now, when you hear follow me, that means to be my disciple. A disciple is a learner. This is connected now to education. In the Jewish system, there were three levels of education. The first level was what we consider um, elementary school, okay? You had to now know the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. In fact, the disciples were probably at this level, for they were considered unlearned men. Now, but if you were able to now know the first five books of the Bible, then you would go down to the second level. That level was, uh, you had to know the whole Old Testament. Now, I would have flunked out. Because sometimes I forget John 3, 16, so I know I wouldn't have made it. <laughs> but you had to know now the whole Old Testament. And now if you were able to learn that, then you would go now to the third level. That was considered rare air. Top of your class. That level was considered discipleship. And in that level, you would ask a rabbi to come quiz you on all your knowledge. And if you pass his test... Then you will hear him say, you may now follow me. Okay, y'all got that? Now, here's the kicker. In the Jewish system, it was always the student chasing the teacher. It was never the teacher chasing the student. But in verse 17, Christ says, follow me, meaning the greatest teacher of all time comes to the worst student and says, I want you to follow me. Hope Church, that's the gospel message. Because we couldn't come to God, so God came to us. And God simply says, I want you to follow me. This is Christ's invitation. He's going, I want you to come with me. Hear me. We cannot be followers of Jesus if we are not with him. Now, these men would have known that if a rabbi asked you to follow them, that was your whole day. That was your whole life. You ate with him. You rested with him, you walked with him, you talked with him, you played golf with him, you did everything with him. And this is what Christ is simply saying. If you are going to follow me, you must build your life around me. In fact, it paints a picture of what we see in John 15, 5. 
In John 15, 5, the key word here is the word abide. That means to, to stay close, to remain. It paints a picture of intimacy, that you know who God is. You know what he wants. You know what he desires, all because of your proximity to him. We say at Hope Church that a Jesus follower does what? Abides in Christ. So, Ricky, the question is, how do I stay close to Jesus? If I accept his invitation, how do I stay close with him? Well, my mind goes to four things. First, it goes to time in God's word. The way you know Jesus is by reading his word. In fact, most of us don't like to read the Bible because the Bible reads us. I'll keep going. I'll keep going. Don't even worry about that. Don't worry about that. That was for free. But time in God's word. Secondly, is time in prayer. That we're constantly communing with God, talking with him, expressing our need for him. Next is time with God's people. Now listen, I know we all jacked up, but it is important to be around the church. Because when you know God's people, that's a way of you getting to know who God is. And then lastly, time in solitude. Learning what it means to get away from the noise and the busyness of life so that you can hear God's voice clearly. My fear, Hope Church, is that we will try to live a life of a Jesus follower apart from Jesus. That's the temptation. You can't do this on your own. And Christ invites us now to walk with him. And my, my desire this morning is to preach Christ in such a way that you will see the beauty and necessity of following him. So here's my question. Over this past week, have you prioritized being with Jesus? What I mean by that is, have you positioned your life in such a way that you can hear God's voice through his word and be led by him? Christ said, I'm inviting you to something. That's a great ringtone. I'm inviting you <laughs> to something special. Be with me. Amen? But now Christ is going to say, the more you're with me, the more you walk with me, the more naturally I begin to transform and restructure your life. Now look at it with me, verses 17 and 18. It says this. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Uh, I know y'all are smart. There's an issue in verse 17. Y'all see it? Y'all see it? There's, it's, it's, it's right there. Christ says, uh, hey, follow me. Great. Where we going? He tells them to follow him, follow him, but he never tells them where they going. Now, that couldn't be my wife. Oh, no. Oh, no. You ain't going to tell my wife, let's go, and you going to tell her where she going. She want to know where we going, who going to be there, what we going to drive, what you going to wear, what I'm going to wear, what they going to wear. Girl, get in the car. Hey. And she's sitting right there, too, so I might need some help after service. <laughs> but, but Christ says... Follow me, but he never tells them where they're going. Let me just tell you this, that following God does not come with a map 
nor directions. Following God comes by hearing his voice and holding his hand. And if we are going to be people who follow Jesus completely, we must be people who know the voice of God and trust him by holding his hand where he leads us. Most people quote verse 17 wrong. They say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But they miss the most important word, I think, in that verse. It's the word become. That's the idea that once you and I accept Jesus, it's a process of being matured like him. In fact, it paints a picture of what we call sanctification. That's the process of being made like Jesus. What are you saying, Ricky? That this process is, a, is not an overnight thing, but God is slowly and gradually working in our lives to make us look like him. In fact, many of you, you may not be like Jesus perfectly, but you are not what you used to be because Christ has slowly begun to work in your life. Now, not only is this process of becoming slow, it's also painful. There's a cost to following Jesus. Luke 9, 23, Christ will say, if any man come after me, he must deny himself. I'm looking at people right now who I know they know what that feels like. Can I be honest? I wrestled with this text. Because sometimes the sacrifices we make for Jesus and what he gives us in return does not always feel like a fair trade. God, I've left everything and everyone I've ever known to follow you. And now when I'm by myself and the lights are low, and I feel the frustration and confusion and anger. And all I have to ease my soul is a few Bible verses. Anyone ever been there before? Hear me. What I am not saying is that God's word is not enough. Because God's word is enough. But what I am saying is that sometimes it does not feel like enough. But in those moments, the Holy Spirit reminds me of a friend who lost her husband. When she would have tough days, we would catch her saying, God, you're good and you do good. God, you're good and you do good. God, you're good and you do good. And I was reminded of Psalm 126 verse 5 that says, that those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. And I was reminded that though we must give up some things to follow Christ, and though we must walk in the valley, what we have in Christ Jesus is far greater. 
I was reminded that though hardships may come and life may not be easy, what God gave me in Christ Jesus is for greater. Listen, listen to me, church, whole church. When God gave you Jesus, he gave you everything. When God gave you his son, he did not withhold anything from you. So I know there's some lonely nights. And I know there's some hardships. But don't you know that God has your name engraven in the palm of his hand? And because of that, he cannot forget his children. In fact, this invitation is so great. John Tyson says this, to be invited by Jesus to be a disciple is to be invited out of mediocrity. You're invited into the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jesus. You go from fish to men. You go from a couple of dollars to a kingdom. So Jesus' invitation for us is always for something greater. And I believe in verse 18, these disciples dropped their nets because they knew that what Christ offered them was far greater. In fact, in verse 18, it says the word immediately. It means that two things happened at one time. That means that when Christ called their name, they saw that all Christ offered, and they made a decision to walk straight to him. And as they walked to him, they dropped their nets. What do they show us? They show us this, that you cannot follow Jesus and hold on to the same ways of living. You cannot follow God and keep living the same way you've been living because Christ says, once I come into your life, I change everything. Now, I got to say this. The primary way Christ transforms our life is through our obedience to him and our sacrifice for him. Verse 18, he called their names and they came, obedient. And as they came, they sacrificed their nets, sacrifice. What are you saying, Pastor Ricky? That the main way Christ begins to restructure and transforms our life is by our willingness to follow him. And as we follow him, we are willing to give up the things of this earth because what he offers is far greater. I know many of you in here are millionaires. I can see it. And you may have some great trinkets in your pocket. Your car, your job, your family. But let me just tell you this. Your car will fade. Your house will fall. But what shall stand forever is God himself. So, if that's the case, I must ask the question. If God is that good and what he offers is that great, what are you willing to sacrifice so that he can transform your life? If he is that good and his invitation is that great, then we should be willing to do this with our hands. Christ said, the more you walk with me, the more I begin to transform and change your life so that your life shall resemble mine. Um, when me and my wife found out we were pregnant, well, she was pregnant. Um, <laughs> husbands, we got to stop saying that. We, we won't. She was pregnant. Um, when we found out we were having a boy, and man, listen, man, as a, I've always wanted a son, and I always want my son to look just like his daddy. I know that could be vain. I get it. Whatever. Forgive me. 
but I wanted my son to look just like his daddy. And so when we found out that we were having a boy, I was so excited, man. And every night we would pray for his salvation, for him to be strong and kind. And Rosie would be praying, and I'd be like, and make him look just like his daddy. Amen. All right. Yes, Lord. Great prayer time. Woo, Jesus. Mm, mm. And so, and so, like, and so now, and so now, now the day came, right? We're in the hospital. Rosie's pushing. She's pushing. Pops out trip. And 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 now, like, here's my moment. I've been praying for the past nine months. God, let my boy look just like his daddy. And now here's my moment to figure out if my, my prayers will answer. And I look in the bassinet and he looked just like his mama. You got to be kidding me, man. Only had one prayer. That's all I had. But uh, I begin to notice something. As the days and weeks and months went by, he began to get these big old ears like his daddy. As the days and weeks and months went by, he began to get a big old nose like his daddy. As the days and weeks and months went by, he began to get a smile like his daddy. You're going to show it right here. All right, all right, okay, all right. Five seconds and then we're, okay, we got it, we got it, we got it. But what I began to see is the more my son matured, the more he looked just like his daddy. Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, and you've been walking with him for some time, does your life look like your father in heaven? If you are a follower of Jesus, at some point in your life, you should be resemble your father in heaven. When you look at your life, can you say that I am beginning to resemble my daddy? Do you forgive like him? Do you fight for justice like him? Do you offer mercy like him? Christ says, the purpose of me transforming your life is so that you begin resembling me. Amen. The more you and I walk with Christ, the more he begins to shape our lives so that we should resemble him. All right, now I got around third and hip home. Last one here. The last invitation is so that we can be like him. The idea here is becoming like Jesus. It's the idea of Romans 8 being conformed in his image. So look at it with me, verses 19 and 20. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired servants and followed the idea here, again, is being conformed into the image of Christ. Christ is on his way to build the kingdom, to offer salvation to the world. He brings with him now two men, Peter and Andrew. But now he sees two more men. Their names are James and John. But these men are not like the first because he finds these men in the boat with their father. 
that, that probably meant that their business was a generational one. It was a family-owned business. In fact, not only that, but they had hired servants that meant that they probably made a decent living. Though they may have been unlearned men, they still had a decent job. In verse 20, it says that Christ calls out to them. Now, I think this hits a little bit different. Because these two men are standing in the boat with their daddy. The one who raised them. The one who loved them. The one who played with them. And Christ says, follow me. And it says they leave their father in the boat. What are, Ricky, what are you telling me? That to follow Jesus, we must be willing to leave everything and everyone. That's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. But Christ says, when you follow me, everything in your life actually gets better. I became a better son once I became a Christian. I became a better father once I became a Christian. Because with Jesus, everything gets better in my life. Now, what do you mean, Ricky? I mean simply this. The way you and I show that we follow Jesus is by willing to leave everything. That's tough. But to follow Christ, we must cut ties with all allegiances. Family. Friends. Relationships. Because the sole purpose and the end goal of discipleship is to become like Jesus. What do you mean, Ricky? You can't follow two people at the same time. You can't follow mama's tradition and Jesus. You can't follow your friends and Jesus. You have to either follow him or not follow him, but you cannot do both. And they understood that what Christ offered me was far greater, and it was so much greater that I am willing to leave my daddy to follow you. Can that be said of us? That we are men and women who understand that what Christ offers is far greater. Now, the last thing here is that a disciple, not only his job was not only to be like his rabbi, but it was also to carry on the work of his rabbi. Well, the work of Jesus is what? Making disciples. That's the work of Christ. We say here at Hope Church that a Jesus follower shares in the mission. Well, Ricky, what's the mission? The mission is to make disciples in Las Vegas, the West, and the world. When Christ says, fishers of men, he's saying, I will make you do the very thing that I've been doing. And what is that, Jesus? That is sharing your faith in the point to make disciples. Do, do we understand that? That is what we are called to do. Y'all seem so excited. Amen. That's great. Great. But that's the whole point. The whole point is to make disciples. The gospel is good news, but only if you get it in time. In fact, Matthew 28 says this. Out of Christ's own mouth, he says, go therefore, and when you have time, sometime tomorrow, doing Starbucks, make disciples. No, go therefore and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. This is our desire. This is our hope to make disciples. Now, the great black pastor, E.V. Hill, who preached in Los, Bay, uh, Los, Los Angeles, he would say it this way as it pertains to sharing our faith. He would say, 
when it was a question of perishing, God sent his son. But when it was a question of hearing the gospel, God sent you. God sent me. God sent us. And this is the reason we follow Jesus, is so that we can do what he has done and so that we can be like him. Many of you have never heard the name Joseph Strauss, but I can assure you history would say He's an important character. Born in the late 1800s, he would always have a desire and affinity for uh, construction. This would lead him to become an engineer and specializing in what they call movable bridges. Around the, around the early 1920s, he would hear from the city of San Francisco that they were desiring to build a bridge over what they called the Golden Gate. He would give his portfolio and they would accept it and for the next 20 some odd years, he would give his life to completing this bridge. He would, he would think about it all day long. He would, he, would, he would sleep on it because this was the apple of his eye. He gave his heart and soul to the completion of finishing the bridge. In fact, the two were so connected that in 1937, the Golden Gate Bridge was finished. And Joseph Strauss died one year later. History says that you cannot mention the Golden Gate Bridge without mentioning Joseph Strauss. And you cannot mention Joseph Strauss without mentioning the Golden Gate Bridge because the two have become one. Hope Church, that is what it means for us to become disciples of Christ. That when the world sees Ricky Harris, I pray that behind me, they see my Savior. And when they see my Savior, they see me. Because the two have become one. And this is Christ's invitation that we should become just like him. So when your family sees you, when your coworkers see you, who do they see? They see the man and woman who have been changed by God. And there are people who love grace and mercy and who open their mouth to share the beauty of the gospel. Two have become one. But Pastor Gene reminded me of something special also. That there was another who would build a bridge. Except it was not over water, but this bridge would be on the cross. On the cross of Christ Jesus, Christ made a way for sinners now to come to salvation. There was another who made a bridge. And his name was Christ Jesus. And Christ says, you put your faith in me and I will walk you now to God himself. This is the invitation. I'm so passionate because it's the greatest decision God has ever allowed me to make. My life has not been the same all because Christ came down to earth to pick up this black boy and say, son, follow me. I got to get y'all out of here. God, my prayer is that tonight, today, someone will answer your invitation. Because there's no greater 
invitation. And for God to call my name. Will you do it, Jesus? In Christ's name. Amen. Now, Ricky, what do I do with this? You accept the invitation. If Christ is tugging on your heart, if Christ is calling your name, what do you do? You would simply accept the invitation that Christ simply says, what I offer you is far greater. And if you're a Christian and you see in your life that you have not been following God the way you should be, Christ says, no guilt, no shame. Just come. God left heaven to put on flesh just so he knows how it feels to have a bad day. And he simply says, son, if you place your faith in me, what I have done on the cross is now yours. And so all we must do is repent of our sins and accept Christ Jesus. And so I'm asking you from the top of the stadium down to the bottom, will you accept this free invitation? God gave his all just so that you can come to him. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Thank you, Jesus, for inviting me to something that has changed my life. So, come. Come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I'm simply asking you to come. Come to the altar. Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. As our pastors come, if you want to accept this invitation that will change your life, we would love to talk to you. And if you just need prayer today because it's just been a hard day, it's been a hard week, and you realize you have not been desiring God as you should. Come. We want to pray with you. So, I told you earlier, there's nothing greater than a personal invitation. Christ says, I've made my invitation on the cross. I made my invitation. So here's my question, and I'll leave you to this. 